0: You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning. I'll try again. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Hey, welcome back to campus. I am so thrilled that you are here, and so are many, many, many others. Welcome back. I hope your break felt like a break. I hope it was restful, and I hope you're excited to get cracking today with your classes and meeting your friends and campus life, but of course, starting here in chapel. If you are a new student, would you please stand? Please join me in welcoming these new students. If you saw a car that was pulled over in that road adjacent to the campus this morning, yeah, that was me. (laughs) Semester's off to a great start, so hopefully hopefully your, your day is a little bit better. Today we get to hear from Dr. Kevin Brown. Dr. Brown is our president. He holds a Ph.D. in theology and religious studies, a master's of literature in Bible and the contemporary world, and an MBA. His research interests include economics, philosophy, and theology. Dr. Brown is married to Maria. They have three children, and in his spare time, he enjoys being with friends and family, reading, drinking copious amounts of coffee, and camping. So I know that he is a favorite speaker here, and he's also someone that we really enjoy knowing and getting to have as our president. So today, Dr. Brown will be speaking from our chapel frame of heart holiness, what it means to be filled up with the holiness and wholeness of God. So let's give a warm welcome to Dr. Kevin Brown. Um, I'm so excited to share with you this morning. And um, you know, every message is important, but some messages, as, as you probably feel, are just a little more proximate to our heart and our passion. And this is one of those messages that's very proximate to, to my heart, It's something I feel really deeply. I've shared a variation of this uh, with our community before, and so I want to share it with you. So Steve Deneff, Pastor Deneff at College Wesleyan Church, known affectionately as Crouching Tiger here. Uh, he's, he is one of my favorite pastors, and I listen to his sermons often. And several years ago, he did a sermon series on Proverbs, and it was excellent. And he had one phrase in there that I wrote down. I wrote down a lot of phrases, but one that I wrote down, and I wrote it down because I thought it was very prescient. Uh, it, it really predicted the kind of moment we were in and that we're in today. He said this, today... The world is not asking for your thoughts on right and wrong. It's talking about the church. The world's not asking for your thoughts on right and wrong. The world is not asking what you believe. They're asking a different question. They want to know, does it work? Not, is it true? Not, what do you think? Not, what does the Bible say about this or that? They want to know, does it work? You may have seen the movie Walk the Line. Uh, It was about Johnny Cash. And there's a, I'm quite certain, an apocryphal (laughs) scene in there where a young Johnny Cash is trying to audition in front of a record producer. And he has the band and he's smiling, he's excited, he's chipper, and he sings this. He says, yes, I know that Jesus saved me. The very moment he forgave me, he took away my heavy burden. Oh, He gave me peace within. Satan can't make me doubt it. It's real, and I'm going to shout it. And at that moment, the producer kind of abruptly stops him in the movie and kind of says, you know, thanks, thanks, but no thanks. Moving on. And Cash says, well, is the problem the song, or is the problem the way I sing it? And the producer says, the problem is I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Now, I've never forgotten that scene, and not simply because it's good Hollywood storytelling. I say this humbly I think that is the issue today, that the world might be looking at the church and saying, I don't believe you. Our words are falling flat. And here's why when the world sees moral failures of popular Christian leaders, And authors and speakers, when secular news outlets and not Holy Scripture are sought for guidance and gospel, when our actions are more hewed to modern ideologies than traditional Christian beliefs and practices, when others see the politicization of our faith, when there's a great difference between how Christians behave on a Sunday, and then how they turn around and behave on a Monday. When we're more wooed and guided and governed by fantastical ideas than robust Christian doctrine and practice. When we abuse power, when we exercise lukewarm Christianity, when this is the Christianity that is presented to the world, we should only expect to hear one thing. I don't Believe you. Commenting on a March 2021 Gallup poll, which revealed that less than 50% of society now attends a formal religious service, Russell Moore named a troubling contributor to this trend. He said, We now see evangelicals walking away from evangelicalism not because they don't believe what the church teaches. But because they believe the church itself does not believe what the church teaches. The presenting issue in this secularization is not scientism and hedonism, but disillusionment and cynicism. In other words, what Moore was saying is those walking away from the church are saying, I don't believe you. We want them to believe, I want them to believe but they're not even sure the church believes what they want others to believe. Here's my point. As Deneff said, the question today is, does it work? Does faith work? And we need to answer that faithfully and compellingly, winsomely, truthfully, but how we answer that question matters. We can no longer answer merely with language or propositional arguments and expect that to be sufficient. We have to answer with our lives. We have to answer with what I call a 21st century power. Let me talk about that for a moment. In Luke chapter 9, remember Jesus is sending out the the 12 on a mission. And in verses 1 and 2 it says, Then Jesus called the 12 together and gave them power, And authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So here again, Jesus is deputizing the disciples to go and minister as representatives of God's kingdom. And we see that Jesus gives them power and authority over demons and over diseases. Note the distinction between those two. Clark's commentary writes, the treatment of these two things were not the same. The demons are to be cast out. The diseases are to be healed. In other words, one was spiritual, the demons. One was physical, the diseases. One relates to spiritual health, the other is physiological. Now, this distinction matters in our technocratic 21st century moment. There's a great quote, I've shared this many times. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, the late rabbi, he said, Look at where we are right now in the evolution of human civilization. To explain the world today, he says, we don't need revelation, we have science. To control it, we don't need oracles and magic, we have technology. To control power, we don't need the prophets, we have elections. If we're ill, we don't go to a priest, we go to a doctor. If we're in search of salvation, we can go to the modern cathedrals of the consumer age, namely shopping malls. He concludes by saying this, so in functional terms, everything religion used to do is now done by something else. Now let me be very clear, I'm not lamenting these things. These are good things. I am a a beneficiary of technological development. When I have a headache, I take aspirin. If I'm lost or I need directions, I use Google Maps. I have restless leg syndrome, and I can go to a sleep doctor for that. Amazon algorithms tell me what books I might like to read next. Uh, Quite well, I I might add. (laughs) A GPS watch can track the length and speed of my (coughs) jogs. Zoom allowed me to maintain job continuity as well as stay connected to loved ones during the pandemic. With streaming technology, our family watches Highbridge Film Festival in our living room. And maybe, maybe, one day, Dr. Yuri and I will have a lot of hair in our head because of some breakthrough uh, with, uh, yeah, hair treatment. Maybe. So I... Look, I'm not here to to lament these these technological advances, but don't don't miss this. Nothing, nothing in our advanced modern society is equipped to address our spiritual need. No medicine, no algorithm, no GPS, no machinery, no scientific breakthrough, nothing is sufficient to fill what Pascal called a God-shaped hole in our hearts. You see, aspirin, Google Maps, Amazon, researchers, experts, these modern forms of power that we frequently consume, they can do a lot for me, and they can do a lot in me. But forgiving my enemies, saying no to destructive inclinations, emptying myself, possessing this other-oriented disposition, living an upright and godly life in this age... As Paul talks about in Titus 2, possessing and exhibiting joy and endurance in the face of pain and hardship, compelling me to serve, purifying my thought life, being able to see others and their complexity through the eyes of Jesus Christ, willing the good of another, Aquinas' definition of love, this is a different power coming from someone else, somewhere else. And can I assert to you this morning, this is perhaps the most profound and visible and compelling manner by which to exhibit God's power in our life today. This is how we make our argument. This is how we answer the question, does it work? How do we do that? Three things, three reasons. First, this creates a different kind of Plausibility structure. Now, this is an expression used by the sociologist Peter Berger, and all that means is it conveys a way of living. It's it's a a system of meaning. It's that background story that's running in your mind that kind of makes sense of the world around you. Let me give just an example of this. I had a good friend of mine several years ago. He was telling me about this kind of all-inclusive vacation his family was going to take somewhere overseas. I was like, wow, that sounds amazing. He's like, yeah, my kids don't want to go. I was like, why? He's like, because they don't have internet. And at first I thought, oh, his kids were just being obstinate or, you know, uh, wow, what a, uh, what's wrong with your children? He's like, no, 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 it's not that. They, they it's not that they are being obstinate. It's that they can't imagine being in an area that is not connected. They can't imagine not having the internet. That is not a plausible idea to them. It was not a part of their plausibility structure. This is important because we need to have a plausibility structure for the virtue and the holiness and the life of faith that we espouse as Christians. People need to see the demonstration of our faith, and not just hear our words and opinions, not just hear moralism, not just hear a propositional argument. They need to see the fruit of Christian wisdom. They need to see the victory of God's power in our life. They need to see the joy, the peace, and the hope that accompanies our faith. This makes the Christian life plausible to others. When I was a kid, I was admittedly a very weird kid, but uh, I I liked Simon and Garfunkel. Uh, My other friends were listening to other things. And uh, there's this song, Kathy's song. It's lovely. It's a great song. And there's a line in there at the very end where they say, For you see, I've come to doubt. All that I once held is true. I stand alone without belief. The only truth I know is you. I've come to doubt everything that I believe is true. The only thing I know is you. I see the truth in you. The ideas of faith and victory kind of took in my life. They made sense to me in my mind and heart and soul because I first saw it lived in the lives of, the, of others. When I first encountered the holiness message, Asbury, that I could have victory in the person of Jesus Christ, that I could fully love others, that I could fully love God, that I didn't have to live in the grip of sin, that message to me made sense. That had a place to go. There was a category in my mind because I had seen it lived in the lives of other people. I believed it because I saw it and I had seen it. Referring to the importance of plausibility structures, the author, Michael Matheson Miller, says, we can talk about Christian ideals all day, but if we don't live this out, we might as well be talking about fairy tales. Today, in the 21st century, in 2023, seeing really is believing. The world needs to see Christians act like Christians. Number two, This power affords us the life that we were made for. This is a very Wesleyan message. This is the life we were made for, designed for. Jonathan Haidt, the psychologist, has written before, devout Christians are often lampooned by secular liberals as uptight, pleasure-fearing prudes. In other words, this suggests that Christ followers suffer this, this boring, crudish puritanical life, while other Christians, or other non-Christians rather, get to uh, sow their wild oats in an enviable series of pleasurable acts. But it's okay, we say, because when we all die, we get to go to heaven and party, and they're going to suffer somewhere. That's bad theology. That's a bad, it's a bad story. Scripture, scripture tells a different story. In 1 Timothy, Paul talks about taking hold of the life that really is life. In Colossians 2, he describes having fullness in Christ. Jesus invites the weary into rhythms of rest. In John 10.10, he's inviting us to abundant life, complete life, all around life. Of course, let me be clear, this does not shield us from life's complexities from suffering, hurt, loss, ignorance, mistakes, speeding tickets. (laughs) Nor is it an easy, safe, or tame life, but it's a life of fullness. It's a life of completeness. It's a life of wholeness. Some of you might remember Dr. Chris Bounds, who used to teach here. He said, if I'm preaching on holiness, and you don't pick up the message of good news I've done something wrong because the message is good news. And it's not just good news, it's a life of peace. Now let me say something about that. I'm going to be transparent. I I used to chafe at the idea of peace being a fruit of the Spirit. And why? Because I I didn't see a lot of peace in the people I was around. And most importantly... I didn't experience a lot of peace. I don't, feel, I don't feel calm when I'm stuck in traffic. I'm not in a state of bliss when I'm trying to meet an important deadline. And I don't have a sense of peace when I, I witness an injustice before me. And I was talking to my brother-in-law about this once, who's much wiser than I am. And he said, you know, you're not thinking about peace the right way. He said, peace is not a buzzy state of perpetual contentment. Peace, he said, means we are no longer looking. Peace means we're no longer looking. Our deepest yearnings, desires, affections, and loves have been met. That, he said, is peace. I think he's right. You no, know, uh, Emily Dickinson has a really wonderful poem called Wild Nights. And it goes like this. It's pretty short. She says, Wild nights, wild nights, were I with thee. Wild nights would be our luxury. Feudal the wind to a heart and port. Done with the compass. Done with the chart. Rowing in Eden, ah, the sea. Might I but more tonight in thee. It sounds very uh, sexual, erotic, right? But as you might recall in chapel last fall... We discussed eros in its classical sense also meant something like yearning toward something. And in the Christian faith tradition, we believe that God is the object, the destination of our deepest yearnings. Remember that famous Augustine line in Confessions, O Lord, you made us for yourself and restless are our hearts until they find their rest in Thee. I remember in an interview, the author Garth Greenwell says, I've always been possessed of a devotional temperament with no bearable object of devotion. <laughs> what a quote. I've always been possessed of a devotional temperament with no bearable object of devotion. And Augustine Augustine is saying, God is the object, the destination of our devotion, of our yearning. Peace means being stabilized in participation in the life of God. Participating in that that we were meant to participate in. We're done looking. Feudal the wind to a heart and port. Done with the compass. Done with the chart. Third, our empowerment through the Holy Spirit is a manner to bear witness unto others to live a full life But finally, we answer the question, does it work, by reflecting the character of God and his son, Jesus? And what is that character? Well, it's strange. It's odd. It's head-scratching. It's different. Think about Jesus' power. He could do anything. We see in Scripture he could change water into wine. He could heal the sick. He could raise the dead. He could calm storms. He could reattach severed ears. He could find currency for Roman taxation in the mouth of a fish. When a group wanted to shove him off a ledge, he could pass through their midst. He could do anything. But those seduced and attracted to Jesus's power would ultimately be disappointed. My friend Dave Smith says the greatest miracle of Jesus was the miracle he did not perform. He stayed on the cross when he could have come down. To suppress power out of love for another is its own kind of power. Augustine said restraint is its own liberation. So much of God's power in our lives should run counter to cultural convention. Put differently, we should just look a little weird. Remember that Flannery O'Connor quote? You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you odd. Stanley Hauerbaugh says, sanctification is sacrifice and service that cannot be accounted for on the world's terms. Remember Paul's description of the mind of Christ in Philippians 2? Emptied, slave, humility, obedience, death. That's the mind of Christ. And he says, let that same mind be in you. Let me bring it home. I I love the the story in Luke chapter 8 of the woman who had been suffering who touched Jesus' cloak in the crowd. Remember that? And it says, power left Jesus. Jesus felt power leave him. And the Greek for power is dunamis, and it's etymologically tied to the word dynamite. Dynamite left Jesus. What is our dynamite? And there are so many examples of this I want to give or I could give, I do want to give one that has an Asbury tie. Between 1989 and and 2003, some of you may know that the Liberian Civil War was responsible for nearly a quarter million lives lost. Very bloody war. And at the center of it was a gentleman named Joshua Milton Blighie, who was affectionately known at that time as General But Naked. That was really his name. He was a Liberian terrorist leader, and he was said to have been responsible for over 20,000 deaths. He often would fight without clothes on, hence the name, and he's been described as one of the most evil men in the world, and time will not allow me to describe some of the evils that he was engaged in. Yet after he was confronted by a priest, uh, a priest, by the way, who's been to this campus, thank you, Jim Shores. He had a road to Damascus experience not unlike that of Saul in Acts 9. The once notorious warlord was miraculously converted to a pastor, a husband, and a father. And again, time will not allow me to tell some of the unbelievable stories of his behavior after his conversion. People couldn't believe it. In 2011, National Geographic made a documentary It was called, The Redemption of General Butt-Naked. Peter Hutchins, one of our Asbury graduates, was the cinematographer, and he won a Sundance Film Festival award for excellence in cinematography for that film. Asburyans doing great things. Congrats, Peter. Dr. Owens, the dean of our media communications school, attended the Sundance Film Festival showing. They showed the film, and people were blown away. By this story this incredible 180 turnaround from a violent evil person to someone who committed their life to the good of others this was an incredible story i learned just a few years ago dr owen said after the film was over some of the national geographic producers came to the stage to take questions from the stunned audience first question Are you religious? The National Geographic producer said, No, not necessarily, but we are now more open to faith than any other time in our life. Second question this is incredible. Do you really believe that God can change the character of a person? They said, We followed this man for five years. He was changed. Dr. Owen said the audience was utterly captivated, and the movie turned into a religious discussion. Why? Because they saw power, they saw dynamite. Wow. They saw a changed life. I just want to ask you this question. And I never ask these questions wagging a finger. I ask them to myself. What are you and I showing the world? Are we at risk of hearing, I don't believe you? Or can we contrast this with the centurion's response upon Christ's death? Remember that? He said, surely this man was the son of God. In other words, upon seeing Christ's power, upon seeing dynamite, He said, I believe. What's our dynamite? I've said a holy, upright, and godly life where, in John Wesley's terms, there is not a motion in our heart that does not accord with the will of God. Let your life, God let my life, Holy Spirit let our lives be our argument. And by the way, let me just say, when I'm talking about a holy life, I'm not necessarily talking about faultlessness. Dr. Kinlaw, previous president here, has made the quote, Sometimes the best evidence of our sanctification is how we respond after we've crossed a line of spiritual integrity. Victory is living an upright, godly life in this present age, but it's making things right with God, with others, with ourselves, when we cross a line of spiritual integrity. Number two, it's wholeness. It's satisfaction, it's joy, it's gratification, it's hope, it's fullness because we live into the Creator's design for our life and we have peace to say we're done looking. Feudal the wind to a hardened port. Done with the compass. Done with the chart. And it's service. It's giving ourselves to the benefit of others. Being constituted by otherness. Having a heart that's curved and bowed outward being a little odd, being a little weird, peculiar in a good way. I can assure you, Asbury, no modern technology can do that. But God's power will. This is real 21st century power. What God can do that nothing else can. And my desire is that when the world sees us, when they see you, When they see faculty, when they see staff, when they see administration, when they see stakeholders, Asbury alumni, they will see power. Not to point to ourselves, but to glorify God. Letting our light so shine before others so that we may glorify God. Matthew 5.16 I've said this a lot. I'm going to keep saying it. Gypsy Smith quote. There are five Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian, and most people will never read the first four. Faith, does it work? Yeah, it works. It works. But how we answer that question matters. Let's aspire to answer that question with our lives. Let's aspire to be the fifth Gospel in a very disillusioned world today. Because in 2023, seeing really is believing. Let's aspire to be dynamite, not because we're powerful, but because God's power and God's spirit is within us. I can't think of a better resolution and commitment to start 2023, that God's power would flow through his people. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for Asbury. Thank you for these students. Lord, we are here these students and we're here to advance the mission of this school and father in our intellectual pursuits in the ordering of our hearts and the otherness that we exhibit and the value we give to society and the holistic practices that we engage in may it all be animated by your spirit Lord, for the full realization of our humanity, but God, to edify each other and to edify the larger community so that when others see us, they could say they're changed, they're different, they'd see dynamite, they'd say, I believe, like the centurion. And Lord, ultimately, for your glory and glorification. Thank you for this place, Lord. Please be here. Please be here. Please be present Otherwise, we're just doing things. We're just beating the air. We want your presence, God. Please be here even in spite of ourselves. We love you. We pray for your power, the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask these things in Christ's powerful name. Amen. Thank you.